Hey everyone, it's Adam Farkas along with Paul Farkas. Hi everyone. And welcome to another edition of ODYR Radio. And on today's show, we have with us Jay Binkowitz, who is the president of the Gateway Professional Network. And Jay actually has 30 years, probably more, of experience um, uh, running practices and running opticals specifically. And this is very important because in today's talk, we're going to talk all about how to set up an optical that's profitable. Um, this is a big topic on ODYR. People have a lot of opinions uh, about how to run their business, but Jay has actually been through an awful lot, and he's got a great deal of experience to share with us. And so why don't we just launch right into it? So Jay, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure, Adam. Paul, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. So, so Jay, let's start from the beginning. Um, what should a, a new graduate think about when they're approaching purchasing an existing practice or maybe going out and, and opening up a new one on their own? That, that's a great question, and um, you know, I've worked with uh, uh, new ODs um, and have opened up new practices for them where um, I think it's very important that they hire a consultant ahead of time before they go into the new practice um, to teach them what they need to know. I, in one particular case, we actually trained the doctor and his uh, retail manager for four months prior to opening up a brand-new practice, and we made sure they, they knew every, they had what they needed before they opened their doors. So when people are going about uh, opening up new practices, unfortunately, too often, they wait till a year or two or three or four later to actually find out what they're supposed to be doing. Um, so this was a very proactive approach, and it worked phenomenally. They did their great success off and running after the first year. And when someone's looking at a new that's that's also an interesting aspect. And, and I do feel that they should bring in a consultant, but one of the most important aspects of, of looking at purchasing an existing practice, actually, we're talking about, is assessing the true net profitability of both the optical and the clinic separately. Um, all too often, you know, folks are looking at the top-line numbers, they're looking at P&Ls and, and tax statements, but they're not really drilling down to understand the net profitability of that business. And so they don't really allocate the funds necessary to build the business. They usually just jump in and grab whatever money they can to buy the business, and then they end up behind the eight ball. Right. And so, it, you know, taking that a little bit further, when we're talking about buying into a, a practice and, 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 or starting up your own, one a big point of contention on OD Wire is should you actually bring in an optician to handle a lot of the, the running of the optical for you, or should an OD try to do that on their own? Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of relationships. Um, it's very hard. It, our businesses are complex. You know, when I started out, I, you know, we, used, uh, we used napkins and scribbled some notes, and, <laughs> and people actually paid with something called cash. So the, the business has completely changed. The dynamic is much more complex in selling products and services and providing them to patients today. So I do recommend relationships, and there are many different ways to have them. There are more formal ways or the ones similar to ones that I, I was able to have in, in my own practice here in New York. Right. And, you know, it's funny, actually, on ODYR, a lot of people talk about trying to keep their opticians happy. And sometimes it's a challenge. You know, the question is, how much do you pay them? What kind of incentives do you give them? How does that work? What, what have you seen in your 30 years of experience? What, what's worked out best in your experience? Well, my, I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, something we call review-based compensation. Um, basically, I'm a big fan on people should benefit from the results they should be directly tied in. Their compensation should be directly tied into the results that are taking place. It's, you know, it's fair for the owner. It's fair for the staff in that regard. But um, you know, as, as I think we're relating to, let's, let's call them the optician managers, that we're looking to run you know, what could be you know, as much as 50% of the business, uh, which is what everybody's hoping to achieve, um, 
I think the fair format is to you know look at the base pays that are being paid out there for that particular marketplace and then uh, have a system in place that will assess the net net profitability of that optical um, and then tie that person into a percentage formula based on the net profitability that's that's uh, that the results are and that really makes things fair so someone's you know making a reasonable living making a fair living and they know that they can grow and make more money as long as they keep their eye on profit and that's my whole goal with people get them focused on keeping their eye on profit so so then the one of the most contentious questions on OD wire is should an optometrist ever consider having an optician as a partner I think there. I think the word partner is could be could be uh, defined many different ways. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a legal partnership, but you can have a really good employment agreement with an optician. For instance, let's say you know, it, as long as you qualify a methodology for mapping out the net profitability of your optical. Um, then you can have a partnership with someone. And you could say, listen, you're making, you know, forty thousand dollars a year. And uh, I'll give you 20, 30, 40, 50% of the profits that the optical generates, you know, uh, in addition to your base pay. And that, in, in essence, makes them a partner in profit. Um, and, and I'm a big fan of those type of relationships. Right. And Jay, you know, going back to, to mentioning how you think that um, sharing profits is an important thing, um, this sort of implies then that the optician has to have some degree of autonomy, right? Because if, if, if they care about the profitability of the practice, they're going to actually also have to have control over costs. So do, do you recommend letting the optician do a lot of the buying and actually managing that side of the business? Uh, absolutely. And, and uh, let me qualify that. Not every optician has a business background. You know, um, there's a lot of great folks out there and a lot of great folks with, with a, many, many years of experience that don't have a formal business background. Um, or have not had the opportunity to, to run a business and read the P&Ls and, and really understand the cost of goods, that doesn't make them a less of an optician. It just means they're not as uh, much of a, a business manager. So what we want to do is, you know, find those folks out there that, that have a little of both and, you know, understand how to, you know, uh, map out the net profitability of, of an interaction with a patient, track cost of goods, and make decisions that are less emotional. When you find those folks, you got to grab them and you got to make them a great deal and give them a percentage of the profits and, and keep them from a long period of time and make them happy because they're going to make you money. Right. And, you know, you actually mentioned tracking the cost of goods. Um, typically, a lot of people do it as a percentage of the overall practice revenue. Is that something that you recommend or do you actually calculate it differently? So I, I'm definitely standing up and screaming as loud as I can from the top of the bleachers saying, don't do that. Um, <laughs> And um, you know, he, here's what happens, and, and I've worked with practices like this time and time again. Um, you know, great example, I had a million-dollar practice I worked with who you know, told me his cost of goods is around 30%, um, but yet we weren't making any money. And when I sat back and did the analysis, you know, his clinic was doing 500000 his optical was doing 500000 and his $300,000 cost of goods should have been against the $500,000 in revenue in the optical. He actually had a 60% cost of goods, and that means he doesn't have a retail business. He doesn't have an optical. That's what I call a value-added service. He was basically not making any money. And so unless you really separate out 
the clinic from the optical because they're so dynamically different. I mean, one's a professional service and you're providing patient care, diagnosis and treatment. And the other one, you know, whether everybody likes to use the word or not, is a retail business. And they have two different sets of overhead and operational costs. And unless you properly map them out, what we do, we have something we call the forensic study. There are many alliances today that are actually using our philosophies with their members, which I think is fantastic, um, where they're showing them how to separate the two businesses and really get down to their you know, real cost of goods for the optical by itself, for the clinic by itself. That's powerful because now that person knows the impact of the decisions they make. Our docs today, and, and for, for you know, historically speaking, at the end of the month, there's money left over in the checkbook. We made some money. But nobody knows how the money got there. This will show them how the money gets there. Right. And, you know, you, you mentioned uh, before that cash is sort of an obsolete way to pay these days. <laughs> vision, <laughs> vision care plans have sort of overrun most of the country. So yeah. big questions now is how does one deal with that reality? You know, have the vision care plans created any obstacles to making a practice profitable? Um, and how can you overcome those obstacles that might be in the way? So I, I have to say that even in my own practice, which is probably 90% vision care plan related, did they create obstacles? No. Did they create the need to rethink the way we're doing things? Absolutely. But that takes place in every industry and in every business across the world. And what business stands still, really? There's always influences that force you to change your game. You know, even, even in the hospitality industry, I mean, they're changing their game every six months to keep up with, uh, you know, the experience factor for, for their, their customers. And we needed to do the same. The difficulty that many practices have is that, you know, we're trying to do things the same way we did back in the 90s today, and so everybody's yelling and screaming, we can't make money with vision care plans, but that's only because you're trying to do things the way you did them in the 90s, and, you know, and that relates to um, how we discuss products and features, how we explain the fees that are involved, and, um, and what products that we carry in our practice. You, know, you may love a particular product line, but you can't be profitable with it. You may not like another product line, but you can be profitable with it, so you know, which one are you going to go with? Um, so we have to get rid of some of the emotions of that, and we, we you know, I, I say to a lot of my folks that I do consulting work with, um, there's, there's nothing wrong with the vision care plans. There's, if you want to hold on to the way you did things in the 90s, you're just going to keep complaining. Well, now, speaking of vision care plans again, are, are they all created equal? Are there some that make it just impossible to work with? Um, they're not all equal. Um, there are some that are, are quite difficult to work with. Um, and, and, but it has to be assessed. Each marketplace um, uh, has a different percentage of uh, vision care plans uh, represented there in the business community. And so, you know, we need to understand the impact of the vision care plan overall. And what that means is if you assess a vision care plan by saying, well, they're only going to pay me uh, 30 or 40 or $50 for an eye exam, there's no way I'm going to work for that. That, that's one way of looking at it, and, and I respect that standard. It's, it's, what, it's what works for you. But at the end of the day, from a purely business perspective, what you want to do is measure the, in, the total uh, financial interaction that plan and patient is going to have on your practice. So maybe you only get $40 or $50 for the exam, but a certain percentage of that particular patient that has that plan you know, is, is, um, <clears throat> is utilizing uh, your clinic in many other ways. Or perhaps a certain percentage of them seem to purchase more products. And so you have to take into consideration all the different pieces of that interaction and come up with uh, 
the number uh, that that patient uh, really brings to the table. And so sometimes you look at the plan and say it's forty, fifty dollars, but the average amount of money that a patient spends in your practice is three hundred. So at the end of the day, it's about how much money the patient brings to the practice in total, not just for the one piece of the plan. Right. And have you? And you don't have to name any names. <laughs> I don't want to get anyone in trouble. No, but and ha- I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever actually looked at a plan and said, there is just no way, there's no way we can work this out and we're not going to actually work with, with this particular plan? Uh, um, there, there have been times when I've made recommendations to stop seeing plans. And, and I think all the consultants out there at some point, you know, tell tell our clients the same thing. You know, you want to drop that bottom 5 or 10% that's not bringing you the money it needs to bring you so that you can give that time to the patients that are. Right. And just one sort of tangential question. You mentioned different kinds of frame lines and, you know, stocking ones that are more profitable than the others. You've been at this a long time, and I know you've been to all the trade shows. And, and I know whenever I go to, say, Vision Expo, I go over to that one side of the hall and I get completely overwhelmed with you know, all the hoopla and everything that's going on with all the different providers over there and all the different lines and stuff. Do you have any sort of techniques that you like to go in when you go into a show to try to actually pick out different lines? That's a great question. It is overwhelming. I mean, let's face facts. Uh, there's no loss for the availability of product today in our industry, uh, which I'm also very, you know, proud to say uh, from, from the lens side of things that lens technology has advanced so far um, and so quickly in the last few years that it's, it's a pleasure to dispense progressive lenses today. Um, it, but when it comes to frames, it, it is very confusing. My suggestion is this. If you really want to approach the expos and, and, and really get the experience you need, you have to have a plan. It's not just a matter of looking at a frame line and saying, gee, I th- that looks cool. I think I could sell that. Um, I set up you know, professional planograms with our clients, uh, real retailing planograms, how many brands we're supposed to be carrying, how many units of a brand we should carry, um, and you know, what categories are in there, you know, a high fashion, a mid fashion, a core product, a luxury product, a niche product, and you know, how many of each one of those brands do we want to have. Then when you go to Vision Expo and the big shows, you should take them in and get exposed to see what the new brands are doing or even get exposed to see what the old brands are doing and how they've changed and use it as, as an education, an, inform, uh, an informative experience for yourself to then go back and make decisions as to which brands you might want to substitute, which brands you want to get rid of, which new ones you want to bring in. Um, and that's really the best way. I'm, I, I try to tell people, be a professional voyeur. Take it all in, learn from it, go back, map out a strategy. But what I have found is most of the time we get very hyped about a product line and you know, then we get unhyped about it. We get disappointed in it. And quite frankly, the product line wasn't filling the niche the practice really needed, maybe not the right price point or the right patient type. So it has to be more of a logic to it. It should never be just, I think I could sell that. Right. So, you know, so now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. Uh, and there's always a big debate, should you have an edger in your practice? Is that a professional thing to do? And we have... Uh, Arguments on OD wire about that. What's your opinion about uh, edging in a practice? I don't think a practice could be without an edger. I just I couldn't imagine not having an edger. And I think um, and from a not just a customer service standpoint of view, from a profitability standpoint of view today, you can't obtain the profits you're looking for without an edger. And fortunately, edging technology is so incredibly advanced that anybody you know, can can press a button and edge a pair of lenses today. It's just amazing. When I started out, I, I don't want to admit this, I, 
it's kind of embarrassing. I remember scribing a lens and crimping it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I use the word crimping today, I, I doubt very much uh, anybody would even know what that means. Um, so uh, it's definitely come a long way. Um, but uh, and, and in the area of single vision lenses, uh, many of us, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, a lot of folks getting their butt kicked, you know, purchasing um, surface single vision lenses when they could purchase stock lenses for significantly less money. And if you had an edger, you could reduce your lab bills by 12 to 15 percent annually. It just it just pays off in such dividends. There's no reason not to have one. Does that mean you need a dedicated person that's like the optical person, not the dispenser, uh, managing this whole whole part of the practice? So that, that's actually a very good question. It depends on the level of business. I feel that most practices, once they hit that $500,000 range, are ready for an edger. Um, you know, and um, depending on the patient flow, um, I've seen practices where two or three people know how to edge. I've seen practices like my own that have a dedicated lab manager because we're a very busy practice and there's, there's enough work coming in every day where I really needed to dedicate a single person to it. Um, so, you know, it depends on what level of business you're at. But, uh, but really, once someone gets to 500000 they're ready for an edger. Right. And, you know, you mentioned that the edger can reduce your, your cost of goods. Uh, I know that edgers are not necessarily cheap. Um, so how long do you think it would actually take for a typical office to pay back the investment in one? Well, again, uh, it depends on the volume of practice. You know, a million-dollar practice purchasing an edger, you know, could see a return on investment in the same year. I mean, that's how quick that could happen, or, or even less time. Um, you know, the there's a couple of things that take place. I tell, tell people to take the baby steps into edgers. So what, what does that mean? Um, it means if... if if all you do is make a decision to uh, embrace a uh, using single vision lenses and edging them in-house, that's a very simple first step. So you don't have to scare the staff either. Uh, you know, we'll worry about figuring out how to edge the progressive lenses later. That's fine. Let's just do single vision lenses for now, and that'll get everybody comfortable. Once that's done, they'll see how easy it is. They'll want to edge everything else, and you'll save not only the edging costs, but you'll become a better buyer, um, and you'll be able to buy from many resources the lenses that you need, and you'll be able to reduce your cost of goods. Right. And, and when you're shopping for an edger, you know, when you go to Vision Expo and you see everything that's out there, what, do you, what should you really be looking for in an edger? So um, it's true that not all edges are equal. Um, you know, I, I really uh, i am a big fan of the warranties that come with the edges. Edges are, you know, high-tech instruments today. I mean, they're, they're very, very complex in- instruments on the inside, which is what makes them so simple to use on the outside. Um, so, you know, I look at the structure and, and, you know, is it just a piece of plastic or not? Um, and all those things are nice. And the bells and whistles are how easy it is to learn and how easy it is to use and the functionality, all of that's good. But I think today with edges, um, it's important to understand the company you're doing business with and what level of service you're really going to get, and what level of training you're really going to get, and what the warranties are, and how long the warranties are. I think those are all the signs for me of who I want to do business with. And because, you know, there's, there's $30,000 edges, there's $60,000 edges. You know, I, when I purchased mine, I purchased the $60,000 edger. Um, I was looking for a long-term, g- great quality product, and I wanted 
to do business with a company that I knew would stand behind their product. So that's how I ended up making my decisions. But it wasn't the cheapest one available at the time. I can tell you that, you know, 10 years later, I'm still using that edger, and it's a wonderful, wonderful edger. And I'm, you know, now I'm thinking of upgrading to another edger. So now that you have the edger in place and you're using it, I've, I've heard a complaint on OD Wire that there's edger odor. <laughs> that, that's, that it stinks. Where what happens? Well, is this true, or what, what do you so, do about it? This is a, <laughs> so funny. Um, I think we hear about that in the exam rooms too. Um, so the some of the edges actually have um, um, circulation systems built into them in order to filter the odor that comes from from edging certain types of materials. And um, and so so that that's actually a very cool feature. I think the important thing is when you install an edger that you should make sure that there's a circulation fan within very close proximity to the edger to exhaust uh, anything out of the lab uh, outside of your practice. Um, but you know my edger is pretty centrally located within my practice. I do have a like a bathroom exhaust fan right above it, and we really don't have any difficulties um, uh, with that at all. Right. So. I guess moving on, if let's say that you have your optical in place and everything's been running great for several years, um, how often do you think a practice should to really take a, a close look at their optical and, and refresh it and really you know look at it with with brand new eyes and maybe do some stuff over again? How frequently do you think that should be done? I love this question. So we're all consumers. We all go shopping, and if you went to the mall today and and was just walking up and down the aisles of a mall and made note of a few stores that you liked, and came back you know, a few weeks or a month later, you would see a different window, you would see a different rotation of product, you would see you know, something else to attract you. It doesn't mean they even have new product, but they rotated the inventory, they, you know, they're constantly changing their game to give you a reason every time you see them to say, wow, they might have done something new, let, let me go take a look at that. You know, we don't do that often enough. We're, we're actually really bad with that. You know, our windows and our displays need to be changed every month in some way, shape, or form. And I, I encourage everybody to sit down with the representatives from the companies you do business with and set up a schedule. Like, I have a schedule. I have a 12-month schedule for my practice every year. Every month, I know which brand's going to be in my windows. Every month, I know which brand to promote at my website or, you know, what holidays are coming up. And, and we, we plan out. It's not a difficult thing to do. And I sit down with the reps, and I say, listen, you know, I'm going to give you the window for the month. Come, come in and dress it for me. They, they love that. Right. The problem is we don't give them enough access to do that. We even push them away. We don't give the representatives from the companies we do business with enough credit or, or enough opportunity to really help us uh, uh, refresh our look. And so that's from the exterior side. You know, old awnings and old windows and old things hanging in the window, we tend to leave them in there forever because we don't even see them anymore. We're numb to that. Should come out all the time. You know, speak, speaking I'm of sorry. old awnings, you just brought back a memory. You know, I'm still I'm old enough to remember when it was unethical if you wanted to be an American Optometric Association member to keep frames in the window. And I recall these, uh, especially in New York, these people with downstairs locations right. used to put flower pots in the window. Yeah, wasn't you it know? like the old safe harbor laws that didn't allow you to do that? Yep. So, so yeah. the so of course now the issue is. Uh, people are having devoting much, much more space to the optical, and they're allocating enormous space. So the the whole front of the place is all optical. Uh, yep. Well, what what's the best ratio 
of optical to exam room you would consider? Well, you know, I, I'll share this with you. You know, I had a practice a long time ago that asked me because we do a lot of blueprint reviews, and um, this particular practice was significant size practice, and they um, they were allocating eight percent of their space to optical. And so you know, he said to me, what do you think? I said, well, you know, just tell me how much revenue you expect to generate from your optical. And he said, well, you know, 40 45%. I said, well, you know, the, the question is, how do you expect 8% of your space to generate 45% of your revenue? You know, there, there is a direct relationship there. Um, and, um, you know, I then helped him do a little bit remodeling there. Um, I don't have an exact ratio. Uh, I think one-third, two-third is probably somewhere in the ballpark. I think in a New York practice, it's probably the opposite. It's probably two-thirds optical and one-third optometric, uh, but, you know, it flips when you walk around the country a little bit. Um, uh, <clears throat> but it is very important to, you know, we're willing to go out and spend $20,000 on an autorefractor, but we won't spend $20,000 on cleaning up and making our optical look good, and the autorefractor is not responsible for generating 50% of our revenue. Yet, you know, when you work with a lot of the, the companies out there that help you design beautiful spaces, nobody makes the investments they should make as often as they should. Back to your question, Adam, on refreshing. You know, carpeting is, is every five years max. Um, you should be bringing in new showcases and new displays and new looks. You know, every couple of years you should be refreshing. You know, when's the last time most folks painted their practice? Even a fresh coat of paint and changing up some of the colors or changing out some of the ceiling tiles and the fixtures, that stuff should be done on a very regular basis. If you can't remember the last time you did it, it's overdue. <laughs> right. And you know what? This actually sounds like it could be a fairly expensive thing. So perhaps it's better up front. So when an optometrist and an optician are working together, it's better up front to say, you know what? Every five years, we're going to do X so that you can sort of allocate that cost and not have it become a big, hairy deal when you finally have to do it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and yet, when you're looking for that real, you know, I refresh my practice, my, the total look of my practice every five years. I bring in new showcases, bring in new displays. You know, and, but in traditional retailing, that's probably too long. But in our business, that's fine. Uh, look what LensCraft has just did. LensCraft has just skated across the whole country and created the most wonderful shopping environment for consumers. You walk into a LensCrafters right now, everything's branded really nice. They have very deep selections. They make it very easy for you to come in and shop and play and enjoy the experience. Um, you know, there's a reason why they did that. We can learn from that. So, so what do you mean by branding? You just mentioned the term LensCrafters has a certain brand. Uh, how do you brand a practice? Well, branding a practice versus branding the product. Um, so uh, when I was referring to branding right now, when you walk into a lens crafters, you know, you see the different brands of the frames above the selection of the frames. You don't have to figure out what they have. It draws you right to it. Branding the practice is, is a much more in-depth question, which relates to, you know, your website, your social media, and the services you provide. For instance, um, you know, what we try to teach our folks are, if, you, if you're big on AMD, then you should have some specific branding that says, you know, you know the AMD clinic uh, at so-and-so vision center, or the dry eye clinic at so-and-so vision center, or it's the eye gallery at so-and-so vision center, or the, or the sunglass outlet at. You should individualize those things that you want to make folks aware of and incorporate that into your websites and into your marketing materials uh, and into, you know, hopefully you're doing business with like, um, like a Web Systems 3 type of marketing system where you can get the messages out. 
and you have to uniquely brand the services and products you're, you're, you're offering your patients. So, so is there a way uh, to brand your, your optical uh, by, by board management uh, to, to let people know what, what sort of optical you're, you're running? Absolutely. Uh, most opticals today I walk into, uh, everything looks the same. They've got the $300 frame next to the $50 frame. We've got, you know, little, little hanging things from the 99 cent store that's, you know, 14 years old. Um, and, uh, and there's no real dedication of space to product, which means um, I'm a big fan of going deep. Instead of having 40 brands, 15 of a brand, I'd rather have 20 brands, 30 of a brand. I want a, a very robust selection. I want that consumer to get the, the real essence of what we have. And, and, so I'll, and I'll keep all those frames together, uh, keep the whole brand together regardless of the, um, the gender. And so when someone walks over to my boards and they see, you know, whatever particular brand is up there, whether it's a, you know, a Fendi or a Gucci or a Coach, there's a beautiful brand plaque there, there's a case, there's frames turned in different directions, there's some excitement on the boards, and all the frames are together. So there's a really good sense of the collection that you're offering somebody. But unfortunately, when I go into a lot of practices, the messages are not there, and unless someone takes the frame off the board, you wouldn't even know what it is. Really? So, so basically, you, you, you have titled your, your particular system The Edge. Uh, can you kind of describe what, what this edge business means? So The Edge is a system that we, was, uh, we're proud to say is, is out five years now. Um, very early on, uh, when we were providing consultative services, we realized that if we had a, a web-based system that, that synced up, sort of speak, with the practice, and allowed us to take a look at what's going on in the business that we could help more people quicker because um, I don't have to get on a plane every day to, to see what's going on. The Edge is a philosophy on managing your business, and it has a series of routines uh, built into it, and it specifically says the type of things that you need to look at. Instead of just running an Excel spreadsheet, running a report and saying, okay, this number is this number, and AR is that, and my frame is this, the edge goes deeper and says, this is why. We call it relational information. We look at the individual interactions that are taking place in the business. We look at the trending that's taking place. And the edge brings complex information to you in a very simple way and gives you the same power that big box retailer has when they're, when they're studying trends and making decisions. And the beautiful part about what we do at the edge, because we're not a reporting system, we're, we're a hybrid. We're a first consulting company with a technology um, that says, here's how you need to run your business. And what we do is we teach our folks not just how to use it, but what the information means. And we provide live business webinars and great resources and, and consultations to support that. Our folks get movement. Our folks you know, really have a good time at uncovering what's going on in their business. But more importantly, with the edge, because it's a click of one button, they spend their time doing something about it instead of spending their time figuring it out. Right. Well, great. Well, Jay, it looks like we're running out of time, but this uh, interview will actually be up on ODWire, and there's going to be a discussion thread that follows the interview. So I'm certain that our members are going to have a whole bunch of questions for you. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping this conversation can, can continue online. And, and thank you for making uh, the whole optical part not only profitable, but also fun. You can have a good time doing this, which yeah. is most important. You can important. have a lot of fun. That's exactly right. You know, the optical is a lot of fun. It's, not, it's stressful because of a lot of things that have taken place in the industry over the past 10 years. But the truth is, you're right. It could be a lot of fun. Great. Well, Jay, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Jay. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.